Welcome to the Pikes Peak Christian Church Sermon Podcast. Good morning, Pikes Peak Christian Church. My name is Sam Silvius. I'm the next-gen pastor here. Um, I have been the next-gen pastor here for exactly one year and ten days uh, this morning. And so I am thrilled uh, to be uh, here on staff. I'm thrilled to be in front of you again this morning, uh, bringing a message that that God has uh, laid on my heart. Um, It was about six months ago. Uh, really, when God gave me this uh, desire to preach this message um, about special families. And um, when this sermon series started and Darren asked me to preach, I knew exactly uh, what I wanted to preach about because um, we're in this series called Modern Family. And, and we're going to spend um, a bunch of time over the next few weeks talking about really practical ways uh, to make family work better, to make family run better, to make family uh, successful. And, and all of those things are really um, dear to my heart. I, I want to see family just uh, thrive. Um, but today is, is, is just a little bit different because I, I don't think that we can talk about modern families without discussing special needs families. And the reason that is true is because of a couple of studies that I, I just want to share some statistics with you. Um, according to the CDC, uh, they did a study from 2006 to 2008 and they found that in the United States, one in six children will have a developmental delay or disability. That's one in six in the U.S. Now, some of those are fairly minor and easily treatable and overcomable, uh, but still one in six children will be affected with a developmental delay or disability. On the other side of life, uh, the Administration on Aging found in a study they did in 2003 that almost one-third of Americans over the age of 65 have some sort of disability. Now, again, some of these are pretty minor, but with those numbers, a third of the people over 65 and a sixth of the people that are children, there's a pretty good chance that your family will have a special need at some point in your lifetime. And if it's not your family, it's probably going to be your extended family or a family that you know. And so with that, I think it's important that we understand why God would allow these special families to happen, why God allows these special needs to happen, and what we're supposed to do about it. And so that's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, before we look at what God's word says, there is a place in your bulletin for you to write down the answer to a question. And that question is, I believe God allows families to experience special needs because, and I just want you to write down what you think. And the reason I want you to write it down before we start, um, and you don't have to write it on the bulletin. If you didn't get one, you know, pull out your smartphone, text it to yourself, email it to yourself, write a little note, whatever, write it on a piece of scratch paper. But I think it's important that we understand our um, ideas going into this conversation, that we understand um, what, what we're bringing into the conversation before we look at what Scripture says so we can have an honest conversation about where our ideas and views line up with what God says. So I'm going to stop talking and let you write that down. I don't, I don't see all of you writing. Okay, I probably got most of you. All right, so um, we are going to be in the book of John this morning. And so if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to John chapter 9. Um, if you don't have a Bible, we have a bunch of them in this cabinet in the back. Feel free to hop up, run back there and grab one. Um, if you forgot your Bible this morning, uh, we're not going to put the core text on the screen. I want you to see it for yourself in God's Word. And so you will need to get out your smartphone or your tablet or, or your Bible this morning and look at that. Um, and like I said, if you don't have one, you can grab one out of this cabinet. Um, if you don't have a Bible at home, then please uh, take that with you when you leave. We want you to have uh, God's word in your home so that you can read it, so that he can minister to you uh, through his word um, and the reading of scripture. And so like I said, we're going to be in John chapter 9, and we're going to look at a story 
where Jesus and his disciples come across a man with a disability. And we're going to just look at his response to that. But before we do, um, we're just going to start with some prayer, okay? Father God, Lord, I thank you um, that you have given this word to me, that you've put this uh, desire in me to talk about uh, these very special people um, that are in your world, that you've created uniquely with a specific um, purpose. And so, Father, I pray that um, my words would uh, ring true this morning, that you would speak through me to your people, that you would help them to understand, that you would open their eyes and their hearts, Lord, to what you would have to say um, about this issue um, in the context of family. So, Lord, we love you. Uh, We thank you for being with us this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right. So we got Jesus and the disciples. They're walking along, and um, here they come, and we're just going to jump right in. John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. It says, he went along. This is Jesus we're talking about. And he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, I want to stop right there. Don't read the next line. Just, just pause right there, look up, uh, and here we go. So, so here's what's happened. There's a guy who's got a disability. He was born blind. Um, he's been this way from birth, and Jesus and the disciples come across him, and the disciples go, Lord, who messed up? Because there's something about this guy that's not right, so we want to know whose fault is this? And, and before you judge the disciples too harshly, that's often our response too, isn't it? Right? When we see somebody in a hardship, in a disability situation, and suffering through something, we go, who messed up? Somebody did something wrong to make this happen, right? And, and you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you have seen um, a guy on the street, homeless, begging for money, and you go, man, I bet he deserves it. Right? You don't have to be, I, I, I'm just saying, right? You've thought that at some point in time. You go, you know what? I bet, I bet he did something. Because we're evil and sinful people and we think that about other people. But here's what happens, right? We, we have this thought that because things are wrong, somebody must have messed up. Somebody must have done something wrong. And that's exactly what the disciples think. And so they say, who did this? His parents or this guy? Who sinned? Who messed up? Now, I'm going to tell you a little story here about a time um, when I believed this, when I believed this lie, that that something had happened in my life, and it was because of um, something that I had done or not done. It was in uh, July of 2011, and my son, Ben, had uh, just turned three uh, just a couple months before that. My wife and I were in uh, uh, Denver at the Children's Hospital there in Denver, and um, we had just received the diagnosis that my son, Ben, um, was on the autism spectrum, and they, he had autism. And so we, we got the news, and we were fine, quite honestly, um, in the doctor's office. We, we held it together. We were fine um, in the parking lot. We were fine getting on the highway, driving out of town. And um, about the time that we got to where South Denver ends, um, and we were on the open stretch of I-25 heading back to Colorado Springs, my wife uh, just lost it in the car, and she began sobbing uncontrollably. Uh, and what I could make out through uh, the sobs was, what did I do? What have I done? What could I have done differently? How could I have raised him better so that this wouldn't have happened? And the reality is autism has nothing to do with what my wife has done or has not done. But the fact is we said something is wrong with our child. We must have done something wrong. We blamed ourselves. Now for me that came a few months later um, when I began to question, did I do everything right as a parent, as a father? Did I do everything right as a husband? Did I, what did I do wrong? And, and still to this day, we question whether or not we messed up. In those dark moments, we go, what did I do that this thing has happened? 
right? So that's our response. That's the response that we have. Now, the other thing that we do um, is we, we blame parents a lot. Now, parents, we blame ourselves a lot, but we blame other parents a lot too, right? And uh, let me tell you this. When I was, um, when Michelle and I just had one child, um, Grace, she's our firstborn. Some of you know her, and you know that she is absolutely the sweetest uh, little girl in the world. Um, yeah, she is. I have the mic, so I can say that. Um, and so Grace is, is just unbelievably um, sweet and kind and gentle, and um, she is uh, very uh, content all the time. She just always just is, is pleased in the moment. She's never upset. She doesn't really desire a lot of things, and that's just who she is. It's how God's made her. And so we um, jokingly call her the easy child now, um, and so we had our easy child first, and we thought, man, this is, this is cake, man. We got this parenting thing down. Exactly. And so um, we would go to Walmart with our perfect little child who was content to just sit um, in the cart and talk to us. And we'd walk around Walmart like this. We are perfect parents. And all of you whose kids are running around crazy, you need to figure this out because you're clearly not doing something right. <laughs> right? That was our attitude. And we had this attitude and God said, oh, okay, I, I clearly need to teach you something. Here's three boys. Have fun with that, okay? And so we don't go to Walmart. We don't even bother now, right? It's just like, no way, ain't happening. Baby, I'll sit in the car for an hour with the kids. You run in, get whatever we need. We'll take a little nap. It's all good, right? It's not happening because it's insane. It's crazy. And it has nothing to do uh, with our parenting. It has to do with the fact that kids are insane, right? (laughs) But we tend to blame the parents. It's what we do. And I, I think that the reason that we search for blame is because we have this idea, we, we've gotten this idea somewhere that our lives should be easy. Our lives shouldn't be as difficult as they are. And, and I, I think that's wrong. And, and I know that scripture says that when we come to Jesus, his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light and he promises us joy and peace and all these things. But you know, he doesn't promise us happiness. He promises joy, and I think that comes as a result of putting him in his rightful place and surrendering to him and, and walking in step with him. And, and the best picture I know of uh, to describe what this looks like um, happened about two years ago um, on this stage. And about two years ago, I sat um, somewhere in this area at a funeral for a 13-month-old boy who had died from cancer. And it was horrible, and, it was, uh, and we wept over this young man who was taken far too early, that, that God brought into glory before really he should have, and by all human standards. But what was amazing is in that moment, I watched his parents stand right here and say, we give God the glory for his life and his death because he belongs to the Lord. And so when we come into this understanding that God does not desire to make our lives easy, he does not desire to make our lives better necessarily, what he wants to do is to give us the peace and the joy that comes from knowing him and following him and serving him. And when we understand that, then we can understand what Jesus says in verse 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. See, we get caught up trying to figure out why this horrible thing has happened and who we can blame. And Jesus says, you know what? Whether I caused this to do something in your life, whether this was caused by a sinful action, whether somebody messed up, it really doesn't matter. That's not the real question. The real question is, what are you doing with it? Why have I allowed this to happen in this moment? And Jesus answers that question by saying, this 
thing has happened so that the works of God can be displayed in your life. Dexter was taken from us too early so that the works of God could be displayed in his life and in his parents' life. My son, both of them, have autism so that the works of God can be displayed in their lives. That's his purpose. That's what he wants to get to. Now, there's, there's a couple of things that are going to happen this morning. There's a couple of times when I, I'm just going to kind of step out of preaching mode for a moment and talk directly uh, to parents of special needs kids because I believe that God has, has laid a burden on my heart to encourage them this morning. And so if you are a parent of a special needs child, I want you to look at me right now. Just, just look up here, look at me because I, I want you to hear this. If you are a parent of a special needs child, you need to hear this because I know that you have thought at some point that is your fault and what I want to tell you this morning is that you are free from that. It is not your fault. Your child's disability is not your fault. Your child's struggle is not your fault. You don't have to carry that burden because God says that this has been done so that the glory of God can be shown in her life. Hallelujah. It's a little close to home. (laughs) Um, So, the question that we ask then is, how, how does this happen? Because I, I can tell you, um, as a parent of a special needs child with autism, um, who sometimes thinks that his um, business is Play-Doh, um, that there is not a lot of glory in cleaning that off the wall, okay? There, there's not a lot of joy in dealing with that. There's, but but, but I, I think that we, we, if we look at Jesus' response to this person, if we look at how Jesus responds to this man, we can find how God uses these situations to bring glory to himself. So let's, let's take a look um, at what Jesus does for this man. Now, we need to back up um, just a little bit uh, to verse 1 to really get the full picture. So here's what happens. It says, as he went along, this is Jesus we're talking about, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, I got to tell you guys, when I was studying this passage to present it to you, this verse just would not leave me alone. And I kept thinking, what am I missing? What am I missing? What am I missing? And finally, the Lord revealed it to me. And and what you'll notice is down later in the passage, we're not going to read it because we don't have time, but later in the story, you find that this guy goes home uh, to his friends and relatives and the people that live in the area, and half of them don't recognize him. In fact, they have an argument about whether or not this is the guy that was blind, which tells me that in that society, he had become invisible to them. He had been blind from birth. He had, he's now an adult. We find that out later in the story. And so what we see is that he's probably been begging for 10 or 15, maybe even 20 years, and the society around him has basically stopped seeing him. It, he's just, it, it's, it's like this. It's like when you're at work and you've had kind of a long day and, and you get in the car and you remember getting in the car at work at the parking lot and, and starting the car and you kind of remember leaving the parking lot and then all of a sudden you're in your driveway. And you're just like, man, how did I, I don't know how I got here. Like, what, I, I don't remember any of this. I don't remember seeing anything. And it's kind of like that because they've, they've passed by him so many times. They've seen him so many times. They just don't see him anymore. But Jesus sees him. So, so parents, let, let me encourage you with this once again. Jesus sees your son. Jesus sees your daughter. 
He sees them. Not, not as he sees the entire world, not that he's looking down and sees a sea of people, but he sees them individually. He understands who they are, knows their struggles. He sees them. And that gives me great hope and encouragement. And what we understand from the fact that Jesus saw him, what Jesus is doing in, in, in engaging this man and seeing this man is he is showing him dignity and respect. He's showing him dignity and respect. And, and this is so important that, that we get this, that we get this right, that we understand this. Because why on earth does this man deserve dignity and respect? He, he's probably never worked a day in his life. He was born blind. He, he really hasn't contributed to society in any way. He's been a burden on that entire area. He's really not capable of doing anything good in his current state. And yet Jesus shows him dignity and respect. Why? Well, it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1. And Darren talked about this um, just a, a few weeks ago, three or four, maybe five weeks ago. And so uh, we don't have to spend a lot of time there, but I want to revisit it just real quickly. In the book of Genesis, as we read the account of creation, here's what we find. Genesis 1, God creates everything. Out of his glorious imagination, he creates the mountains and the rivers and the streams and the oceans and, and the entire universe is created, even the plains of Kansas, you know, the boring part of I-70, we've got to give him glory for that too, okay? Even all of that, he creates all of that. Out of his imagination, he, he builds this entire world and he builds the animals and, and he says of all of these things that he's created from nothing, he says, this is good, it's good, it's good. And then he gets... To men, to humans. And and, and let's just read it, picking up in verse 26. Here's what God says He says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. And what we find is that this is the first time. In the account of creation where God doesn't create something from his imagination, he makes a copy of himself. And he impresses himself onto human beings, not only in our physical appearance, but in our ability to manage and reason and oversee. And he says, These, this creation is set apart above all creation. I'm giving it dominion over everything because it bears my likeness. There was a concept in the old Roman world where um, they would have territory, huge territories, and so they would set up these statues in every little city so that everyone knew who the king was, who the, who the, the ruler was. And the reality is, is that we are living statues that bear the image of the creator king to the world, which is why we are set apart, and it is simply that fact that we are humans, not because of our ability, not because of what we can do, can't do, not because of what we look like, any of those things, but because we are humans, that we are set apart in creation and therefore worthy of dignity and respect. Now we've got to take a little rabbit trail here because it's important that we understand what this means. If we, if we really understand what this concept is saying, that, that we bear God's image and are therefore worthy of dignity and respect, then husbands, that ought to influence how you treat your wives. Not only your wives, but the other women in your workplace, the women that you see on the street. Because if you understand that they bear God's image, then you ought to give them the dignity and respect that you would give the Lord. They're not there just to serve you. They serve you out of love and out of submission to you and the Lord. They they do that because they love you and that is glorifying to God, but they are not there to be your servant. They bear the image of the Lord and we need to treat them with dignity and respect. Now, how does this play out uh, for you parents? Parents. 
Think about this for a minute. Your children are not there simply to do chores. Now, chores are good. I'm not saying chores are bad, okay? It teaches responsibility and and, uh, teaches discipline and, and hard work and those things. Chores are not bad in and of themselves, but your children are not your little slaves to run around and make your life easier. That's not why they exist, okay? And we are wrong to treat them that way. Our children bear the image of God as much as we do, regardless of their ability, and are therefore worthy of dignity and respect. One of the things I love about this church is that as I look out, there are many different colors in this pew, in these uh, seats. And the reality is, is that regardless of your skin color, you deserve dignity and respect because you are made in the image of God. See, racism is not an issue of hatred as much as it is an issue. We don't understand what it means to be created in the image of God. Because if we looked at our brothers and said, you bear God's image, there's no way we could hate them. It's simply because we bear the image of God. Now, Jesus understands this, and he, he understands that this man bears the image of God regardless of his ability or disability, and show, he shows him dignity and respect because he bears God's image. But that's not the only thing he does for him. If we pick up um, here in verse 7, we're going to find out uh, what Jesus does beyond that. Go, he says to him, wash in the pool of Siloam. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. So not only does Jesus treat him with dignity and respect, but Jesus treats his physical need. Now, I love this story of healing maybe more than any other story um, in Scripture. One, because it deals with a person with disability, which just... Side note here, 75% of the miracles that Jesus does as recorded in the Bible are for people with disabilities, just so you know. Jesus had the first special needs ministry, just saying. Um, it's important to his heart. It's, it's clear that God has a heart for it. But Jesus doesn't just instantly heal this guy. Many, many, many times he'll say, get up and walk, instantly heal. Um, a woman reaches out and touches him, bleeding stops. He, he didn't even have to go to the place where the girl was dead. He just said, she's alive, and boom, she's up, right? Instant healing across the board for a lot of different people in the scripture. Instant healing. But in this case, Jesus makes some mud pies, sticks them in the guy's eyes, and says, go wash it off and you'll be able to see. Now, why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just give him healing? And I think that there's a lesson in here for us that, that the, the, the glory that God gets is not only in the healing aspect, but in the treating of the physical needs. So, so here's what that means, parents. When, when you are cleaning up that mess that your child made, whether it's in the diaper or not, when you're cleaning that up, you're giving glory to God because you are treating your child with dignity and respect and taking care of their physical needs because they bear the image of God. When you treat the physical needs, you bring glory to God because you are treating his creation, his prized creation, with dignity and respect. You are taking care of those physical needs and you bring glory to God in doing that. Those of you who teach special needs, those of you who um, do therapy, you are doing God's work. As much, if not more, than I am on this stage. You are hands-on doing the work of God by taking care of the physical needs of his creation. We bring glory to God when we meet the physical need. But that's not the only thing that Jesus does for him. Jesus doesn't just 
treat him with dignity, respect, and then heal his physical need and just leave him there because Jesus knows that there's something more that is needed. And so as we, if we were to read through the entire chapter, which we simply don't have time to do this morning, um, I told Darren he needed to let me preach longer, but he said no. <clears throat> I th- there's some game on or something today? I don't know. Um, Anyway, uh, so if we were to read the entire story, though, we would find um, that, that what happens is this guy is healed. Um, he goes back to his friends. Half of them don't recognize him. They finally agree, okay, he's been healed. We're going to take him to the Pharisees because we don't know what to do about this. So the Pharisees look at him and they go, who did this? He tells the story and they're mad at Jesus, right? They're already mad at Jesus and, and there's all kinds of details we could get into. We just don't have time. But they're already mad at Jesus. And so they go, are you sure it was Jesus because... That doesn't sound right. And so he, he, they ask him again, right? And so a second time, the guy tells him, he's like, yeah, Jesus healed me. Why are you asking me again? Do you guys want to follow him too? And, and so if you know anything about the Pharisees, just, this just set them off like n- nothing else, right? I mean, they are just unbelievably upset about this. And so when, when this guy says this, this argument breaks out. And eventually what happens is um, the Pharisees throw this man who was born blind out of the synagogue. He's no longer welcome in his place of worship. He, he can't come back there anymore. And so what we find Jesus does in verse 35, says Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and he went and found him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. And Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. So Jesus goes to him and finds him and treats the man's spiritual need as well. He doesn't just leave him healed, he treats his spiritual need as well. Now, now let's define spiritual need real quickly. I think that all of us have the same spiritual need, whether we have special needs or not, the same spiritual need, and that is to understand who God is and our relationship to him. That, that in essence, is the spiritual need, is, is who is God and what's my relationship to him. Now, for this individual, what that meant was understanding that Jesus was Messiah, God, and so Jesus reveals himself in that way. The man sees that, accepts that Jesus is God, and worships him right there. So his, physical, his spiritual need is met in the fact that he recognizes who Jesus was. Now, for us, uh, it's a little bit different because we have the rest of the story. And for us, that spiritual need is bigger. It requires a, a little bit more of us. But, but the reality is we're in the same position as this man. We need to understand who God is and our relationship to him. And the reality is that, that Scripture tells us that God is perfect and holy and that we are not because we are sinful men. And because we are sinful, we are separated from God for all eternity. But God didn't leave us there either. Just like this man, he came and he found us. He came to this earth and he lived a perfect life. And they crucified him anyway. And he went to a cross and he died on that cross to pay the penalty of our sin. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The only way to take care of sin, the only way to get rid of it is through death. And so Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us. He's buried and he's raised again three days later. And the scripture says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved and reconciled to God, that that relationship will be restored. And so just like this man, Jesus meets our spiritual need in the telling of the gospel, in our receiving that, in our believing him, in our trusting in the Lord and surrendering to him, our spiritual need is met because we are brought into a right relationship with God. And Jesus does this for this man, and this is what God is calling us to do for all people, including those with special needs. 
including those who are disabled. But that's not the last thing that he does. The last thing Jesus does is he stays there and he allows the man to worship him. The man has been thrown out of the synagogue. He can no longer worship there. And Jesus says, I'm here, I'm God, I'm gonna let you worship. And the man falls down and worships him right there. And this is so critical that we understand that, that to bring glory to God through special needs, what we have to do is these four things. Give them dignity and respect, meet their physical need, meet their spiritual need, and give them a place to worship. It's what we all need, really. It's not just special needs. These are the four things we all need. We need to be treated with dignity and respect. We need to have our physical needs met, whether that's food or, or the desire to work. Whatever those physical needs are, we need to have those physical needs met. And we need to have our spiritual need met to be brought into a right relationship with God. And we need to find a place to worship because we were created to worship. And if we don't worship God, we'll worship something. I see a whole lot of orange out here. Now, I'm not saying that you guys are going home to worship football. I just want to warn you against that temptation. Because we were made to worship. And we will worship. And, and I know, and, and again, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not dogging football, okay? But some of you can quote stats like nobody's business, but you have no idea what God is saying to you in his word. We were made to worship. And if we don't worship God, we will worship something. And so we have to create a place for all people, special or not, to worship. And I'm sad to tell you, in fact, it breaks my heart, that as a church, we are not doing well in this area in the area of providing a place to worship for our special needs friends. In fact, there's a, a, a young man um, who's in fourth or fifth grade. Um, because of his medication, he's, he's a pretty big kid. In fact, he probably weighs as much as I do. And more often than not, he and his mother cannot come to worship. This is, was their church for many years, but because of his disability, because of his needs, he cannot come to this place and worship because we simply cannot handle him in our ministry. We are failing in this area. And I don't tell you that to guilt you into serving. I just want to let you know that God has called us to do this for these people and we're not doing it well. So the question I have for you this morning, the, the question to walk out with is, what is God calling you to do to bring glory to his name? Remember, all of this is so that God gets the glory. It's not so that we have a great ministry. It's not so that we bring more people in here. It's not so we have more people tithing. It's so that God gets the glory so that his name is made great, so that more people can come to him and find the joy and peace that is found in trusting him and surrendering to him. So what is God calling you to do, you specifically, to do to bring glory to his name through the needs of these people? I'm going to tell you about a couple of needs, a couple of, of opportunities for you to meet. One is, like I said, our special needs program on Sunday mornings. We have lots of families that, that would love to come um, and be a part of worshiping in here um, if we could take care of their kids. And so uh, let me just tell you, it's pretty easy. Um, you hang out with a kid. 
I mean, really, it's one-on-one. It's like it's easier than everything else we do in NextGen, right? The best ratio we have outside of that is one to three, right? In this case, you get to go one-on-one with a kid. It's awesome. And you get to see some amazing things. Let me, let me just tell you a, a quick little story about my own kids. Um, one of the, the most beautiful things has, has happened in the last um, six months. My son, William, who is five years old. Now, parents, imagine this. If you have development in typical kids, you know that this statement normally comes at around two years old, where your two-year-old is beginning to talk, and they will say back to you, I love you. My son didn't say it until he was four and a half. But it means so much more to me because it was that much harder for that to happen. And these are the things that you get to see firsthand when you work with special needs. When you, when you get down there, when you engage them, when you start to meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs and give them a place to worship, you see God do just the most amazing, incredible things through these kids. There, there's this thing that my kid does. I don't know why I'm going to tell you this, but I, I feel like I need to tell you. So my son now, um, who's five, he's about this tall, and he looks up at me, and, and he doesn't talk, okay, right? He's got about 30 words total that he uses kind of randomly. And, and the other day, he looks up at me, and he goes, hi, giant. <laughs> All right, I'll take it. <laughs> but these are the moments that you get to be a part of when you work with these incredibly special young people. And so if that's something that God has laid on your heart to do, is to work with these um, incredible kids, um, then come talk to me right after the service. I'd love to plug you in with our special needs ministry. Now, if you're kind of on the outside, you're like, man, I don't want to make that kind of commitment, but I kind of want to see what, what God's up to. Uh, we have an amazing opportunity. Um, the Tim Tebow Foundation has partnered with us uh, this year. And on February 13th, that's a Friday night, um, we will be hosting uh, a special needs prom called The Night to Shine, uh, an evening of faith, hope, and love uh, for individuals with disabilities and special needs, 16 years old and older. We have 100 of them coming. Um, there's going to be around 400 people in the building that night. Um, and so if you want to be a part, if you want to see what it looks like to show dignity and respect to those with special needs, if you want to see what it looks like to take care of physical needs and to give them a place to worship, um, this is the place to be on February 13th. And so there's a note in your bulletin. You can sign up to be a part of that at yestogod.org night to shine um, uh, if you want to do that if you want to partner with us in next gen anywhere taking care of kids um, you come talk to me I'll tell you how to get uh, into a part of that and, and I just want to tell you it may not be God may be calling you to serve these people in none of these areas he may be asking you to start a whole new ministry to people who are in nursing homes guys the elderly deserve our respect and dignity it has nothing to do with ability. It has to do with the fact they re- that they reflect God's image. So where is God calling you to show his glory in response to these people? There's a place in your bulletin for you to write it down. And I think it's important that you do. If God's speaking to you now, write it down. You don't have to come talk to me today. You don't have to turn that card in, but write it down because there's something that solidifies our commitment when we write it down. So Thanks for listening to today's message. Be sure to join us again next time.